0: Everybody and welcome to episode 26 of the Shine Sparkers podcast. I'm Amanda Van Heil. I'm going to be your host. I'm joined by my awesome friend Roy here from Shine Sparkers, and we also have a wonderful new guest. This is Brian Walker. He is the former senior director of development at Retro Studios, and was the senior producer of Metroid Prime Two and Three, and the new Play Control version of Metroid Prime. We also had an interview with Brian earlier this year. So, Brian, thank you so much for being here. Why don't you just tell us a little bit about yourself beyond just the you worked at retro studios?
1: (laughs) (laughs) I've I've been uh, an arcade rat uh, going back to the 70s. I played the very first video game, Computer Space, became hooked, um, and then my addiction continued uh, across uh, a wide range of of genres, of platforms, technology, technology. even though I was, uh, you know, when I was in college, uh, when I was in the army, uh, still still was a hardcore gamer. And uh, so my, my collision with the games industry was inevitable. I joined in the early nineties and been doing this almost for 30 years now.
0: Very cool. Well, we are so excited to have you here. Can't wait to hear your insight on everything. So for the interview we had with Brian earlier this year, we went into a lot of specifics on projects with Retro Studios. But this one, we want to make it a little bit more laid back. So Brian's got the freedom to go in depth as much as you want. So Brian, for our first question, it's been over a decade since you left Retro Studios. But we were curious to hear a bit more about your time there and your experience with some of your coworkers and friends there. I mean, after being there for how long did you work at Retro again?
1: I was there almost nine years.
0: Nine years, yes. Yeah, so that definitely becomes like kind of a part of you. So can you just give us a little bit about your experience there? Yeah,
1: I, I'd like to call out from the get-go uh, that this is, uh, that my commentary is by no means pointing a finger at myself. I'm simply here as a representative of what uh, a great group of people we had uh during my time at retro studios how hard-working and passionate and, and talented these folks were we we did not have a superstar we didn't have a prima donna we didn't have a diva on the team we just worked really well together we were respectful and resourceful and resilient my three favorite cars and we uh as a result uh, that i think the the quality of that environment, of that culture really uh, is reflected in the team. So please, I, I ask uh, everyone to to take a moment and, and understand and applaud the, the output of what was just a, a fantastic group of people. That said, um, I came in uh, shortly after they had shipped Metroid Prime 1. And the, uh, the studio, in fact, was working on a, a, a fast follow project uh, that they had termed internally metroid 1.5 i think was called metroid international uh, with with the corporate offices but they decided against doing that just a day or two before uh, i came on board so we uh, immediately shifted over to metroid prime 2 echoes um the team at the time was only about 40 people it's tiny uh, by today's standards most games now have larger back-end engineering teams than 40 people but uh, it was a Very, very well-proven team, intensely passionate that had really undergone a hugely painful effort to get the original prime out. So we had our our work cut out for us, uh, not only in getting our structures and processes in place, but also getting the uh, the type of culture that uh, would help retro studios uh, continue to grow over the coming years.
2: Uh, In our last interview with you, we asked about whether you had any anecdotes from your time working at Retro Studios. You mentioned Halloween costumes and the whiteboard of regret. (laughs) So we're intrigued. Is there anything more you can tell us about that?
1: there there were there were some real characters there retro and uh, Halloween brought out uh, this sense of whimsy and really uh, in, in some respects the wildly arrested level of development some of our team members <laughs> had the uh, the GI Joe was an awesome one these guys uh, a lot of them grew up watching the GI Joe cartoons playing with the action figures and they uh, come Halloween time they were Dressing up as Cobra, dressing up as uh, Cobra Commander, and uh, various uh, G.I. Joe characters. It was uh, really awesome. One year, we had uh, uh, Frank LaFuente, who was the lead engineer at the time. He uh, dressed up as uh, a really awesome Mario. Uh, oh, he, he was. <laughs> yeah. uh, that was that was a lot of fun. Oh, yeah. Also, Matt Manchester did a great Wolverine costume one time. The uh, from the X Men Origins Wolverine show uh, with the uh, sideburns and everything. That was an excellent costume. Oh, that sounds really cool.
0: <laughs> yeah, that sounds way cooler than what at my at my old job. I'll just put it this way: they had to change the dress code after Halloween.
2: <laughs> oh, <laughs>
0: because some people went a little too far. It was mm. funny.
2: I went to his uh, chic for Halloween once. Ooh. Like, sell alternate form. Yeah. Not a single kid in the neighborhood knew who it was. <gasps> and I had played Smash with them uh, for like years. And they didn't know who it was. It was frustrating, but it was a lot of fun to wear.
0: All right. So, what's this whiteboard of regret? I've got to hear that.
1: <laughs> what are the. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> what kinda of, there is in game development there's current us and future us. And there's a lot of conversations that talk about um current us is, is making a decision, usually a tough decision, that future us will hate us for. And the whiteboard of regret was really kind of the way for future us to look back on just how dumb current us was being. And so we, we would very often have the board up. And uh, over the course of the project, nobody touched the board. It was uh, everything was in the uh, permanent Sharpie. Um, and over the course of the project, we just accumulated quotes that would inevitably come back to haunt us. And uh, I'll never forget uh, Ryan Powell at the beginning of uh, Donkey Kong Country Returns. As we were putting our, our metrics together, we, uh, we were really intensely planning uh, at, the, at the beginning. Pre-production is really kind of the, the homework that, that really kicks a project off properly. And uh, as we were looking at the schedule and what we had uh, in front of us, uh, Ryan, during a, one of the leads meetings, said, you know, come on, guys, we have more than enough time to do this game. <laughs> and, and that that one was probably the largest fun I think I've ever seen going up on the whiteboard for Gret.
0: <laughs> I love that and honestly that sounds like a really good way to just like foster community and really make it like a team thing because that allows you to look back on everything
1: yeah one of the one of the processes in game development uh, is always to go back and review postmortems we call them we a variety of industries doing them but uh, in in the games industry in particular they're very helpful. One is to really just take a look at what you can do better moving forward, what mistakes you made, why you made them, what you learned, and most importantly, how you uh, apply that learning to the next project. Um, The postmortems usually boil down to two things. One is we underestimated um, whatever it is you underestimated. Uh, And the second one is um, you could communicate better. So no matter how good your communication, there was, Almost inevitably a situation where somebody crossed some wires and some miscommunication happened and it, it, it wound up uh, being a, a challenge that you had to navigate around. Um, our challenges with Nintendo were miscommunication was always something we had to be very careful of, mainly due to the translation uh, issue. There was uh, you know, always a challenge of taking something from one of their translators away that uh, we didn't have the proper context for. Uh, So really doubling down on our communication was something that uh, we got consistently better at, especially as we worked more with the translators on the Nintendo side and also had our own translators in-house. Talking about the whiteboard
2: um, actually made me remember something I saw a while ago. I think at one point there was a tour of retro given by GameSpot, uh it, it was given to GameSpot, i should say there was a whiteboard in that video and i wonder if it's the same one now that i think of it just found a picture of it here
1: that one i remember that one that was not the official whiteboard of regret no oh different one yeah that one i think was in uh mark pacini's office if i recall correctly Oh, <laughs> the, if you see, you see ship it kind of up in the upper right corner. That was my stamp on Retro Studios. Um, if something was good, that was uh, ship it. That kind of became our mantra. Uh, kind of your Book'em Dano catch trace. <laughs> That's a good one. Yeah, not, not a lot of people will recall that one. But yeah, that was it. <laughs> nice.
0: Well, speaking of working with so many great people, what was it like working with Mr. Tanabe, the producer of the Metroid Prime series at Retro?
1: I'd like to call out one of the things right from the get-go about Mr. Tanabe is uh, he was an incredibly hardworking person. Uh, A lot of people don't um, understand how many projects he was usually dealing with at once. Uh, he was he was supporting multiple projects, often very very involved, and uh, his amount of effort applied to to each of them would constitute a full time job just by himself. So he was doing this multiple times in uh, parallel. So the amount of assistance that he provided us was really even more impressive when you consider he was doing the same for multiple other developers. Um, Mr. Tanabe was uh, deeply thoughtful person he was a protege of mr miyamoto and took away a lot of learnings that mr miyamoto himself demonstrated which was to i mean just be very mindful about about the process about the fundamentals of making a game and i'm not talking about storyline or characters um, when i say fundamentals the minimum player loop what does that look like uh, what does that feel like once you nail that player loop down, then you start blowing it up to, to include other things. But um, that degree of focus at the very core of a game is something that Mr. Tanabe brought forward and uh, helped us instill in the games that we worked on with him.
2: Yeah, a bunch of interviews have uh, talked about Mr. Tanabe and how
1: much of a work ethic he has. Yeah, Mr. Mr. Tanabe was, uh, um, he, he was a retro designer for all intents and purposes. Uh, the amount of input that he had, he, we may as well have given him a desk at the studio. What really I think I would hold up as the ultimate contribution that he provided to us was in the boss designs of not just Metroid, but also the Donkey Kong games. He, uh, he had the best sense of pacing and difficulty and mechanics for a boss encounters that I've ever seen. Um, and we had really good designers uh, and engineers uh, working on boss designs at Retro Studios. But Mr. Tanabe was able to come in and, and guide the thought process, uh, guide the progression of the encounter, the, the timing. He, he was truly a savant uh, at, at boss design.
2: The bosses in the Prime series are probably some of the best of any game. I didn't know how involved he was with them, though. So that's really cool.
1: Yeah, I think my my overall favorite boss still remains Quadraxis from Echoes. Um, And Mike Wickham uh, was the designer who really did the heavy lifting with Quadraxis. And I believe, if I recall correctly, Paul Tozer um, was the uh, primary engineer behind that encounter. And Paul, we were really fortunate with uh, Paul because he had a really strong design sense as well. Um, and then Mr. Tanabe's uh, guidance on top of that—that's um, uh, that's probably one of the most well-crafted, challenging, uh, and, and at times frantic boss encounter I've ever seen in a video game. It is the biggest
2: Metroid boss ever. Even bigger than Kraid. Yeah, it's all, yeah. we
1: were we were doing Shadow of the Colossus before Shadow of the Colossus. <laughs> <laughs>
0: That's a good way to look at it. Yeah. <laughs> well, speaking of bosses, what were some of your favorites, along with like favorite environments and characters all across the Metroid Prime series? I know Quadraxis is great. Um, what were some others that you really liked?
1: Um, I would hold up the Gandreda account or out, of, um, out of Corruption. One, because... It's not obvious to the player. It, it's a hugely, hugely variable boss. Um, it's not obvious to the player how much work went into the to encounter, but that's good because it, you're not supposed to know that. You're just supposed to know that it's an incredibly challenging, vibrant experience that plays to the personality of the Gandreda character that we were um, working with. Of course, that came out of the Metroid prime hunters. Um, but I think that one is, um, is you know, really one of the more memorable ones I've had. That was a fun fight. Gandreda is yeah, so cool. Yeah. it's That That was one of the, the most enjoyable parts of corruption is, is working with those other bounty hunters as, as boss encounters. I did wonder about Gandreda. Cause you mentioned
2: how, um, I guess making that fight was very complex Specifically, like, because she jumps around a lot and flips and is very acrobatic.
1: Um, what went into that? Well, a lot of people would not immediately think of the, the complexities of the AI uh, that's required, and not just the complexities of the AI to, to have such a fast-moving, uh, agile opponent, but also the complexities of the environmental design to support that kind of um, encounter. That's, you know, we, you know, equally blessed. Gosh, what a great group of environment artists uh, and, and designers that we have. The the designers were able to to put into place what we call the blue rooms, the initial structures and geometry of the encounter in a way that, supported the Gandreda uh, abilities, uh, especially the acrobatics. And then our environment artists came in and, and overlaid those with ways, especially regarding the lighting and the overall uh, aesthetics of the environment that also played very much to the to the Gandreda character.
0: I'm imagining just like watching something like that happen, like with motion capture or something, <laughs> just seeing like somebody actually performing all that.
1: Well, that's, you know, and that's something that, um, you know, we did not use motion capture in anything that we did at, at Retro Studios yeah. uh, for the, the, uh, Prime or the DK series. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, now motion capture and full performance capture, in fact, with facial motion, fingers, hands, et cetera, that's almost a given in anything that you do. But, uh, it, literally everything that we were doing were, was, uh, basic IK and keyframe animation, um, and that, especially uh, to do that by hand, really calls out uh, the the skills of our animation team, Derek, uh, Derek Bobkowski, Will Bate, uh, Stephen Safros, etc., and, and the rigging as well, uh, Dax Pelota. What I really liked about these guys is they always exceeded expectations with something. We had the spec, we had the design of exactly what we were looking for, and they were always able to add a a tweak, a little bit of, a little flourish, a little extra personality that wasn't required. Uh, but that that extra 5% that they would always put in just was not just uh, indicative of the work ethic and the passion they had, but it helped motivate the entire team uh, when they saw their peers stepping up and giving it some extra love. Then they uh, followed that example. That was the kind of, uh, pardon the use of the snarky term, the synergistic creative environment that we had there. That's excellent.
0: Yeah, I just, I love hearing just the creation of all that because I always love hearing about how boss characters are made and all of that. And especially one as cool as Gandreda because she's just, she's just so awesome. And, you know, you made a really good point talking about how, you know, now a lot of things are like motion capture and performance capture, but there's something about when they're done by hand and like animated that way. There's, it's like there's a life in them that you don't, get anymore some like when like yeah you get really cool graphics when it comes to performance capture and you get an incredible like performance from the actor. but like from an artistic standpoint of like seeing the character, I don't know it's like it's, it's like there's like a life in it or something and I think it just has to do with like the animators and producers and everybody just kind of putting themselves into the game while they're making it
1: yeah and there's always yeah you know, there's just that extra whimsy or or the extra flourish that a human couldn't couldn't possibly uh achieve
0: exactly uh
1: you're just not going to have somebody in a bubble suit Making, uh, you know, these these superhuman type of moves—they're going to be limited by their physical capabilities. With the hand animation, uh, you, you know, you can you can put that extra emphasis on a particular stance that you're not going to get out of a human. So that's why I think our animators, in particular, have to be called out. They were so good at giving the characters just that little extra touch.
0: Absolutely.
2: So having worked on the Prime trilogy and also. The Donkey Kong Country games and Mario Kart Seven. What would you say was your favorite title to work on while at Retro? This is not going to play
1: well with your Metroid fan base, Uh, but that's okay. DK Donkey Kong Country Returns on the Wii. Still a very solid game. Yeah. Um, And the reason we have a
0: shared fan base.
1: (laughs) The reason. It's my favorite is not just because what it represented as a commercial project. Uh, it was an extremely successful game, highly rated, highly received, but what it represented to the team uh, and the, the cultural evolution of what was a studio hardwired to make a very, very specific type of game. Uh, and our ability to adapt and evolve and improve to step way out of our comfort zones. I mean, I mean it wasn't one of the steps. I mean, this is like bungee jumping with nothing strapped to your ankles. Uh, I mean, just going, going completely out of the box and embracing a huge opportunity in the midst of, of transitioning, you know, uh, shortly, you know, having recently lost a uh, Mark Todd and, and Jack, uh, when they formed armature, um, and everybody came out of that process far more confident in not just the studio, not just uh, our ability as a team, but as individuals to stare down the barrel of what could have been perceived to be an insurmountable obstacle or incredible adversity and just quit, just roll up and 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 give up. Um, but instead, we grabbed an opportunity and knocked it out of the park um i'm sorry i get a little emotional when i when i think about that because i remember how frightened people were when we kicked it off when uh mark and todd and jack uh, moved on um uh, then you know we, we still talk to these guys to this day great great guys but when they moved on uh they left this void and you know seeing how people initially were just terrified of, of the unknown and then leaning over to each other and finding support and finding the encouragement uh within the team to grow um and that it's easily the best comeback story of my career
0: well never apologize for being emotional that's what we want we want to hear the really cool stories and like what really like stuck to you so that's yeah that's what we love hearing well, over the past few years, especially in recent times, Metroid Prime Trilogy for Switch has been heavily rumored. I mean, we probably get those rumors going around every three months or so, it feels like.
2: There was another rumor last week.
0: That's right. That's right. There was one. Like, I've kind of just gotten to the point anytime where I see one, I go, uh-huh, that's nice. And <laughs> just keep scrolling. Uh, but... There was one comment made by Mike Wicken, the senior designer of the Prime trilogy, that said in 2021 that he was skeptical it would happen, stating that converting the controls of Prime 3 to normal controls would be a huge effort. So in theory, what challenges would a team have to address to make this possible? And I mean, do you think that might happen? I know you might not be able to answer the do you think that might happen because I don't want to get you in trouble for saying any like speculation or anything.
1: Um, you know, there are a whole lot of folks still at retro that uh, you know I was with back in the day, and the the best thing about these these folks is they're professionals. They are never going to leak something to me, and I and I, I'm a professional as well, and I'm never going to dig into them, in, regardless of how much we trust people. It's just not done. It, it's it's bad form. So. Uh, I don't know. (laughs) I have no idea. Uh, I understand the public announcements and I understand how people are doing on a personal level. But as far as what they're working on and the the status of it, um, I I honestly couldn't tell you.
0: Well, like you were saying, you know, when people leak games and and all of that it's, it's so disrespectful to the artists and producers and writers and everything like let it come out on its own time. So I, I get what you're saying there is like, you know, people don't just say this sort of thing and it's out of respect for one another.
1: And that's something that I want to call out from from personal experience. And um, uh, I believe it was E3 2009 they announced that you know, Donkey Kong Country returns at the uh, Nintendo pre-show. And somebody leaked it the weekend before. Yes. And we had been super, super careful about keeping it internal, uh, about being uh, discreet with our communications. And, and we were so excited about blowing people away. Uh, and the show, I think it was Monday or Tuesday before the E3, um, about taking the lid off and showing it to the public for the first time and it leaked and the whole studio was just in this depression uh, when that happened it, it just we had a great show uh it was hugely well received uh but the fact that we weren't able to fill the nintendo mission of to surprise and delight the player just with the initial um with the initial um announcement really um bothered us it, we, we were we were of when that happened
0: oh I'm sure because I mean that's I feel like that's even worse than telling spoiling somebody's surprise party saying hey they're throwing you a surprise party by the way or <laughs> hey by the way your mom's getting you a car for Christmas thought you should know and yeah you know she didn't get the chance to do the nice big reveal it's just yeah everybody listening be respectful to to developers in the story <laughs>
2: just
1: <laughs> oh that's that's one of the things I'm seeing is as a as a problem with with social media um streaming and so forth are these this constant attempt to one up uh, other streamers to get that um to get that edge to get more clicks uh likes etc and they're resorting to just a lot of nonsense uh, in many respects So uh, you know making up rumor quote rumors that they themselves made up just to try to get a response or just to try to to get extra extra views uh for what is almost certainly an entirely unfounded nonsense
0: it's like they're acting like middle schoolers for like the whole world to see basically
1: yeah 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 Uh, the the ones that pretend that they have some kind of inside sources um no
2: there are youtubers who will take some like to use metroid prime 4 as an example retro occasionally posts jobs for you know new positions and they look at the description and they sort of extrapolate from oh, you want uh, a story designer who's going to work on cutscenes. That means it's going to have a massive story. And they spend, the whole video could be like a minute long, but they make it go on for 15 minutes talking about completely other different things. Mention that in like, I don't know, 10 minutes in, very briefly, It's ridiculous.
1: Yeah, yeah. Some of the the forensics that they're trying to apply to to what is a very innocuous development or or posting is, uh, on one hand, it's a source of amusement, but it's also a source of irritation.
2: Yeah, because when a video like that gets made, someone new to sort of gaming culture or game development might think, oh, this is massive, whatever. And then from there, rumors spread. Because whatever jobs are being advertised could be for Prime 4, could be for something completely different. We don't know. And speculating like that is pointless and it just misleads people.
0: Well, thank you so much for giving us some insight on your time at Retro Studios. It was just really interesting to hear everything and to hear just your passion from making the games. It, It definitely comes through. So, now we're going to move on to our next topic, which is the corrupted bounty hunters. And we are going to imagine a scenario in which the three bounty hunters, Rundus, Gore, and Gondreda, are assisting the Galactic Federation against Dark Samus and the Space Pirates. So, like what their journey might be up until they met their fate, or maybe origin stories, or any other types of missions. What do we think of that?
2: I remember reading a fan fiction story a long time ago, which was pretty decent for fan fiction. And with the exception of one sentence in Gandreda's chapter, it's a very good work. Uh, it imagined their origin stories up to corruption and then sort of what happened as they were falling under Dark Samus's control and then after. For Rundas, who seems to be this very badass, laid-back hunter. I imagine he had a whole bunch of adventures before Corruption, like different bounty hunting missions where he would, I don't know, assassinate mercenaries or recover artifacts. And I'm imagining a sort of action-flick-style story with him. He's he's just so cool, uh, especially when he's on the elevator. Hey, relax, we're the good guys. Justice will prevail and all that stuff, right, Samus? Uh, Gandreda is another really interesting character because she seems to play a lot of practical jokes, and uh, she's always very playful or even flirtatious, so she could have a lot of fun. What if she is this uh, political operative somewhere where she infiltrates, I don't know, the office of someone she doesn't like, and she finds out all their deepest, darkest secrets and then exposes them? Maybe that could be uh, cool for her. And Gore, he's one of those bark is worse than their bite characters, I think. I mean, he's vicious toward his enemies, but the logbook said that he had a heart of gold and he donates all of his bounties to underprivileged people. So I imagine he goes on missions where he can be a bit more destructive, whereas stuff with Samus probably requires a bit more finesse. So, for instance, if they need him to go and clear out an entire planet of pirates or so- something easy to kill not like metroids where you have to have ice beam and missiles i
0: think i would probably want like an origin story yeah maybe like in the i would so i know it sounds silly but like have the three of them in the game together like kind of like it's kingdom hearts and birth by sleep um, because you have like the three different routes you can play. You can play as each one, and then like the story like kind of builds on each other, and then you learn all about them, and then like you you get to empathize with them a bit more. And I think that's just really cool because it's I love anything that really builds on characterization. Seeing because like I have you know I have an acting background, so I really like understanding the characters and trying to figure out where they come from and why they do certain things. So I would like, I'd really like an origin story where you get to do the different routes, one for each one, but then they still like kind of work together at times.
1: That would be super cool. I'm really interested to see um, how the team uh, or even if the team develops more of these uh, Bounty Hunter stories uh, outside of Samus. There's an interesting challenge here in that the Metroid Prime series is based on solitude. It's based on a lone hero and a environment that is, um, you're very much in isolation. Uh, and by introducing some of these uh, other bounty hunters, that sense of isolation is, is, um, dispelled to some degree, but to what degree and how do these other bounty hunters, when they're not in the sphere of influence of Samus, what are these other bounty hunters doing and how do they go about that? There's so much more to explore there. I'm I'm really excited to see if uh, Prime 4 or or any of the other uh, future Primes or future Metro titles uh, investigates them further. I hope so, because they're too cool of characters to just relegate them to one single game. I want to see more of them. There's always this um, this kind of undercurrent of rivalry uh, with Silex and Samus in particular, and uh, Silex is, you know, his motivations are other than being a rival of Samus. Does that make him evil? Does that make him chaotic neutral? What what are we what are we looking at? Is is how he operates? Uh, I think Silox to me is is one of the more intriguing uh, opportunities with the Bounty Hunters. Yeah,
2: we had an interview with the story designer of. Hunters a few years ago, and he says that there is a great backstory with a lot of layers written up for Silex. Didn't tell us what that was, of course, but I'm really intrigued to see what that is. I just hope that, you know, whatever Silex's story is, it should cause us to think we should be a little bit conflicted about Silex, maybe. Yeah, I agree. Whether he's evil or not,
1: or, you know, what his motivations are. Yeah, that's, that's that's really intriguing. I, I, I like blank canvases like that.
0: All right, so what we're going to do now is we are going to go into the mailbag. So last episode, we asked you guys, what kind of additional downloadable content would you like to see added to the Metroid Dread game? Metroid Theorist says different character modes, even if it's just another playable character besides Samus. Think Richter mode in Castlevania, Symphony of the Night. This is a recurring feature in post-Symphony of the Night games. That's a good idea, and that's kind of similar to like the idea of having the different bounty hunters and you getting to do the different paths.
2: DLC where you play as Ravenbeak?
0: I would play that. I would do that path.
2: <laughs> I would love that
0: all right um calvin and hobbies says a randomized mode would be cool but pretty basic what i like is some kind of multiplayer mode maybe multiple samus exploring zdr cooperatively or competitively or a whole separate deathmatch thing the combat feels so good it would be cool to use it against other players
1: i'm dating myself badly here but uh, there was an atari Lynx game uh called slime world back in the 80s um And it was a side-scrolling platformer shooter uh, with multiplayer in it. And uh, I am embarrassed to tell you how many hours my friends and I uh, spent in in that game. Um, Yes, seeing that kind of treatment done with uh, Metroid Dread would be awesome.
0: You know, I actually have an Atari Lynx.
1: I have three of them. Oh, wow. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) Impressive. You have to bring your own multiplayer with that one. Gotcha.
0: Oh, here you go, Roy Hiva Hussein. Fourteen says a playable section where you play as Ravenbeak and setting up the events for Dread, like reprogramming the Emmy and Adam, and scattering power-ups across CDR.
2: Nice. Great minds think alike. Uh, add to that a conversation tree where he just thumps his chest and is a big old narcissist. Because throughout the whole game, he was telling Samus, "You can't beat Ravenbeak. Except your helplessness. He's too strong for you."
0: <laughs> yep. <laughs> All right. We got one more. Looks like from Deadweight here. A new area to test your platforming skill to the max, like Mario 3D World's Champion Road or Hollow Knight's Path of Pain. This is the most movement-focused Metroid yet, and it would fit right in. So that would be kind of, I guess, like dread mode, where you just can't take any damage.
2: Well, you can take damage, but oh, okay. you, can't, uh, you can't make a mistake where you have to start over.
0: Oh, okay. Gotcha.
2: 'Cause I'm play I just started playing Celeste a couple of days ago and oh my god. It's uh it's not easy.
0: <laughs> no, no. I've I have not played that one, but it it looks difficult.
2: It's fun. It is a good challenge. Uh
0: as long as it's fun, that's all that matters. Yeah. All right, well you guys, for our next mailbag question, we ask you if you could only choose one Metroid game and all the rest disappeared from existence which one would you save? Oh,
2: this is evil. That's
0: a mean question. Hey guys, I did not make that question up. I'm just going to put that out there that it was not me.
2: That
1: one's, (laughs) that one's all Darren.
0: That is all Darren. Don't look at me.
1: (laughs) I'm going to, I'm going to go corruption. It's got to be corruption. Hmm. Dread is, dread is great, but corruption has a special place in my heart.
2: It is the last, uh, prime game to date. And it was the, I, I would argue
1: the pinnacle of the series. Yeah, it's not fair to, to compare the 2D and 3D um, uh, prime versus Trent. Yeah. You know, entirely different uh, types of games. And yeah. It really um, isn't. But uh, if, if we're getting down to, to just brutal process of elimination, that's, uh, I've, that's my story. I'm sticking with it. <laughs> well, it's a good choice.
0: Well, Brian, thank you so much again for talking with us. It was so great hearing from you. Uh, where can people find you or get in touch with you if they like have something they want to see or anything you may be working on you'd like to share?
1: Um, yeah, they're they're welcome to email me, walker34 at AOL.com. Please don't spam me.
0: Awesome. Thank you. You guys don't spam them, especially not with stupid stuff. Well, it was so much fun talking with everybody. Thank you all for listening. And of course, you can check out our website, shinesparkers.net, and follow us on social media. I'm Amanda Van Heil. We'll see you next mission.
2: See you next mission. See you next
1: mission.
0: Can you tell us a little bit about who all like just what it was all the whole uh, let me try that again i'm so sorry <laughs> there was the one comment made by mike and i'm sorry is it wiken or wiccan wiccan Wicken. okay i thought so but i want to double check well thank you so much for telling us about your background at met at, i just i called it metro i was about to call it metroid and then it became metro <laughs> studios so uh at retro we'll try that again <laughs> so there was one comment made by mike Wicken, the senior director There was one comment made by Mike Wicken, the senior designer. Well, thank you so much for giving us the insight of your time at Retroids. I I almost did it again. Oh, my gosh.
1: (laughs) Retroid.
0: Showing their journey up until they made their fate or maybe their origin stories of why they became enough to take on. Wait, what the? I'm just reading what this says. And I thought it said a question. Awesome! Thank you. You guys don't spam him, especially not with stupid stuff. <laughs> he does not want weird pictures of Samus every day. <laughs>
1: oh no! He oh, yikes! Yes, and, and and we have seen some.
0: I I don't doubt it.
1: If
2: a character exists, that exists.
0: I'm just imagining somebody just like come just drawing like Samus's feet or something. Ew, <laughs> ew. Yeah. No, yeah. <laughs> oh! I made the mistake. Oh, no. So when, when you go to Disney World, there's a, a style called Disney bounding, and that's where you dress up as a character. Oh, boy. I made the mistake of typing in Princess Peach oh, bound. No. And <laughs> Well, it has been so much fun getting to talk with everybody. Thank you all for listening. It was so great. Yeah, let me try that again. Well, it has been so much fun getting to talk with everybody. And, of course, thank you all for listening. You shouldn't
2: be... <laughs> The Shine Sparkers podcast is edited by Darren Kerwin, Stefan Wells, and Giulio Bruschini, with music from Moserati. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can download more episodes at shinesparkers.net forward slash podcast. You can also listen to us on Spotify and other podcast platforms. For the latest Metroid news, community features, and exclusive content You can find us at shinespockers.net,
1: Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. See you next mission.